welcome to So What Do You Think, a podcast where we discuss weird and unsolved mysteries and events and give you a completely unprofessional opinion on them. I'm Jane, with me is B. Hello. So it's our bonus episode time now, and um, thank you everyone for being patient with us as we take a couple of extra weeks, just because we've had some stuff going on, B's been moving house and she's been having headache issues, and it's been crazy. Life's just got crazy, unfortunately. It did. It, it did. still is. You do yeah. not want to see my living room right now. <laughs> um, we didn't think about the bringing of two, like, well, obviously we did think about bringing everything together to adults in their 30s. Yeah. Um, joining a lifetime of stuff. Mm. And on top of that, pantry. Oh, my God. Yeah. You won't have to go food shopping for a while. No. We're at the point where I've actually had to go out and get storage boxes just so we can put all of the excess food we have because we can't fit it into the pantry. And I'm actually also in the process of trying to find another freestanding pantry because um, <laughs> it's not a big house. It's an old, like, 70s house. It, um, so it's, it's tiny. Um, and, you know, apparently they didn't have big kitchens in that time. No, pantries almost are not, they're more a new thing, aren't they? Like I remember when I first moved out of home, I was in this little 70s duplex thing and um, there was no pantry. We had to like buy a rack or something to put our food on. Yeah, I know. I don't, like this has one um, because the kitchen has been, you know, renovated, but it's a small kitchen to start with and it's just like this single door pantry and Mm. it's just like, it's crazy. Where do we put everything? And I'm a bit of like a bulk buyer sort of person. Like I have a freestanding freezer so mm-hmm. I can bulk buy and food prep and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, especially with the world ending with the pandemic, I was not one of those shopping people, by the uh, way. You were a toilet paper person? I was not a toilet paper hoarder. I hated <laughs> that shit. But <laughs> at the end of the day, like, it's always in the back of your mind, like, hey, I'll grab some pasta. Hmm, I might grab one more pack because who knows when we'll have a lock t- lockdown again and all the crazies yeah. buy everything. I know. It was a crazy I'm, like, still on the tail end of the, the shopping I did through those years. My gosh. <laughs> all the so, yeah. money, not having to shop for a while. It, it does. Yeah. Uh, pretty much we just need to buy the meat and then we're okay. The meat and the veg and we're pretty okay. But my gosh, it has been hectic and it's still hectic and we're not finished. And then I had headaches and MRIs and dentists and no answers and it was shit. Yeah. So, yeah, we're just going to take a little bit of a bigger break between seasons. But we thought we'd do our usual bonus episode. So keep you guys going in the meantime. And I thought I'd do something a little bit different for this one. Um, So most of the feedback I get from the podcast is quite positive and lovely. Thank you very much, everyone. But we do get some people that are like, I like it, but it's frustrating. Uh, I can't stand not having an answer at the end of it. My mum's like this. My mum's like, I really want to get behind this, but I can't listen to your podcast because there's no answer at the end of it. And it just. But this me. is the whole premise of this freaking podcast. I know. I tried to explain that, but she's like, no, my brain just can't allow it. Like, it just it upsets me too much. <laughs> hey, if I have to sit through it, <laughs> me of all people, yeah, probably has mild OCD. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like wants answers to everything then and there. Yeah. The rest of you can just do it as well. 
suck it up Mm -hmm. i get it i get it some people just needed a resolution it's like an anxiety thing i guess yeah 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 anxiety right here for me personally i love the unsolved things because it's like a puzzle you know um and i think that some of the once the bigger cases get solved i kind of lose interest in them because they've been solved so that's why with cases like jack the ripper i'm like pretty sure i know who it could be if you don't know that people go back and listen to our episodes on jack the ripper but i'm also okay with it never being solved because i think that the mystery is what makes it really really interesting so i do agree it's no i do agree i like that there are some cases like those really classic ones that just are never going to be solved yeah that's it but sometimes it would be nice yeah and of course with like the more recent cases yes i'd love to see them solved because we're at a point where the you know justice can still be served you know and yeah answers to the family can be given and and I think that throughout the last couple of years us doing this podcast we have had a couple of episodes be you know cases be solved like for example example Somerton Man that's been solved since we did that episode Um, oh yeah that's right yeah yeah and Delphi as well the Delphi murders Libby and Abby they've got their guy for that um and even yeah and even Sherry Papini who faked her own kidnapping she's come out and confessed to kidnap to faking it all and everything so yeah, we, see, it's not all doom and gloom yeah so we do have some solve thank you <laughs> we just lay the brickwork yeah for it that's it we just have it we prime you for the good news when it finally comes so anyway i thought that in this episode we could give some closure um to some mysteries and go through a few big cases that have recently in the last year or so become solved And I know that you've likely never heard of any of them, so I'm going to present them to you like I usually would and see what you think and see if it is close to what did happen. So the first case we're going to talk about is a case referred to as the Lady of the Dunes case. You haven't heard about this one, I'm assuming. No. No. Now, this was solved late last year, so it's pretty fresh, and I actually had actually had it on my list and planned to do a regular episode on it. So that's how fresh it it is. July 26th, 1974. And we are in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Now, a 12-year-old girl is out walking her dog in an area called Race Point Dunes when her dog starts to bark at something. She goes to where the dog is in a shrubby area, not too far from a road, and finds a woman dead laying face down on a beach blanket with wounds so horrific that she is nearly decapitated her head's also been bashed in with something and she has been sexually assaulted there was a blue bandana and a pair of jeans underneath her head like like she was napping on them using them like as a pillow Um, and she had a long auburn hair in a ponytail and was estimated to be about five foot eight and about 65 kilos. It looked like she'd been there for about two weeks. Her hands and one forearm, as well as many of her teeth, had been removed, so looks like an attempt to conceal had happened there. So it looks like she was sunbathing or napping or something like that, and someone came up and surprise attacked her and then removed the identifying features. And it worked because they just could not work out who she was up until last year. She didn't match any missing person's descriptions at all. She had no personal items that could identify her either. Eventually, three months after she was found, she was buried as a Jane Doe. Five years later, in 1979, a facial reconstruction was done. Police were hopeful that they could get some new leads. They exhumed her body the following year to see if there was anything that they missed. But nothing, couldn't find anything. 
In fact, she was exhumed again in March 2000, now that we had DNA, newfound angle techniques to try and find things out. And they wanted to see whether or not they could actually extract any DNA from her. But they couldn't. They couldn't get any evidence from that. In 2010, a CT scan was taken of her skull and a new reconstruction was done. So we kind of had an idea of what she looked like. We had this new reconstruction done. Um, we had her evidence, uh, her DNA evidence, obviously. We knew her DNA, but we didn't get any of the perpetrator off her. Now, who was she? There were some leads throughout the years. In 1987, a woman was like, I saw my dad strangle a woman in Massachusetts around then. Like, what? <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't sound like a random thing to tell people at all. No. She tells a friend who tells the cops, but when they tried to find the original woman, they could not find her. So we just don't even know if that was just bullshit to start with. For a long time, the strongest lead was the tip that it was the body of a well-known criminal in the area named Rory Jean Kessinger, who broke out of prison in 1973 and she was never seen again. She was big in the organised crime sector and it was assumed that she'd been killed in a hit. She looked a lot like this victim actually and would have been about 25 years old at the time. So they kind of all matched up and that's who they thought that it probably was for a really long time. They really liked that lead. So in 2020, they actually tried to match the victim's DNA to Rory's mother, but there was no match. So it wasn't her after all. Now there was one more interesting part of this story. And it involves Joe Hill, who is the son of author Stephen King. He too is a writer, as a side note. Um, so this happened in 2015. Now, Joe just happened to read a book on cold cases that included this case. So it was fresh in his mind when he went to watch the movie Jaws. In Jaws, there is a scene where everyone is down on the beach celebrating 4th of July. And there are crowds and crowds of people, so lots of extras on that scene all over the place. He sees a woman in the crowd with long auburn hair, a blue bandana, and wearing jeans. Now, this scene was filmed at Martha's Vineyard between May and October sometime in 1974, and Martha's Vineyard is about 160 kilometres from Provincetown. So not right there, but close-ish, right? And Joe's like, that's the girl. I've just been looking at the, the identikit. I've just been reading about this. That's her, definitely. And he alerts authorities. And it's taken seriously as well. It's a pretty good lead. They look into the extras from the movie. Unfortunately, record keeping of extras in the 70s, not really a priority. So nothing came of it. And that's where it all sat until last year. So thoughts on this case? A little bit excited about yours being involved in this. I know, right? Who thought? Who'd have thought we could insert a shark into this story? I love Jaws. I hate. I. I don't hate sharks. Look, I respect sharks. Is there an animal, and I love animals, but I do not like them. I do not want to be near them, and they're literally the only animal in the world that I'm terrified of. So I grew up as a beach kid. I was always in water, around water. About twelve years old, thirteen. No, probably about thirteen, fourteen years old. I just suddenly was like, no, not going in the water. There are sharks there. And then mm. I had this like morbid fascination with sharks. Like there are pictures of me on family holidays just sitting there engrossed in this book about shark attacks that have happened around Australia. They're, like it was a, a slightly irrational fear. Um, mm. 
but it was also a fascination and like an underlying respect. But one of my all-time favorite movies is Jaws. Mm. Like I love it. I watch it again and again and again. It's a well-made um, movie. It's a great movie. Mm. And then I met my boyfriend and he also loves Jaws. Oh no. Nice. He has a shirt. We just become best friends. <laughs> we just become best friends. <laughs> he has a shirt that references Jaws. Oh my god. He, he, um has a board game about Jaws. A we board game? Jaws. Yeah, a, bo- a Jaws board game. And we watched Jaws together. Like that was one of the first movies we watched together. Um yeah, I really do okay. love Jaws. So you weren't looking at the screen, but when you mentioned Jaws, I swear my face, like the smile <laughs> was huge. Cause I was like, oh my God, we're talking about Jaws. No way. So do you think that she was the extra maybe? I hope so. Yeah, wouldn't that be exciting? So random. Yeah, I'm watching Jaws and looking for this extra. Yeah, with the red That's hair. What I'm doing yeah, do it. Do it. Report back. <laughs> I'll find it. I'll find her. Yes. So nobody knew who she was. It was just a big mystery. I mean, even if we, it, I mean, we'll <laughs> never know. But even if she was the extra on the movie, it doesn't still tell us who she was, right? Mm. I mean, if she's snuck on up on while she's sleeping, whatever. I mean, that could be a rando killer for sure. It could also it could be, be Jaws. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and let's not pretend that there aren't a plethora of psychos out there specifically, especially in the days before like good forensic t- tools were available. Like I feel like the 60s and 70s was like ramping up for this sort of thing, right? <laughs> To get yeah, to like there's still times where I'm like, because I bef- a little, little, little bit. Uh, <laughs> I'll get it out. Like long before um, we started this podcast, before I even knew you, I was massively into serial killer stuff. Like mm-hmm. I had books upon books upon books and I watched documentaries and all of this. And then one day I just stopped and I don't know why, but I was... I was cool. It was I was cool before it was cool to be into all of these podcasts. Oh, look at you go. Right? Okay. Like, yeah. I was I was cool. I did it before it was cool. Okay. Hey, I was uh, the same. I've still got most of the books. Yeah. Up, so, yeah. I, I got rid of mine because I just I was moving so much and it just got so hard to mm. carry them all around. But like I would get birthday presents and Christmas presents that were like unsolved murders and crimes of passion <laughs> and all of this sort of stuff. Um, and then I just stopped. But I just remember thinking I knew so many serial killers. This is the whole point of my little side story here. I just remember thinking I knew so many serial killers, but there are so many. Oh, yeah, people get away. So many, especially through the 60s and 70s. Like There were no forensic tools. All they had was fingerprints, basically. So if you wore a pair of gloves, you were good pretty much unless somebody saw you do something, you know. They seem to always get lucky with, like, a fibre. Yeah. Like a random little fiber. These days, it's like, God, they. I, I really do hope and think that it probably deters a lot of people from committing those real premeditated crimes. The fact that you're probably, I mean, even the fact that there's so much CCTV and surveillance around mm. these days, you know, like there's. Think, yeah. yeah, you could not do it now. No, think about really... what some of these serial killers did. Yeah, exactly. The same crime over and over again these weird fetish things that they had where they just you know cut them this way each of them would be missing their you know left boob or whatever like 
such a weird yeah. thing and it was just so much more common. Yeah, so I feel like a rando could be who we're dealing with at this point. But but statistically, though, we do know that women tend to be killed by people that they know. Um, and the fact that they've removed her hands and teeth, to me, that shows that probably this is someone she knew because, as we've discussed before, if it's a rando, you want to get away from there as soon as possible and put distance in between you. But if it's someone that you know, there's more chances that you can be linked to it. So you're going to take more time to conceal things. So was this a romantic date gone wrong, maybe, something like that? To be fair, though, there just was no evidence. And given that we didn't even know who she was, it just seemed like a case where we'd never really know what happened. So last year, her skeleton was sent to a special lab that managed to generate a really good DNA profile of her. So they'd made attempts in the past, but I guess given time and degradation, they, they couldn't get a complete DNA profile until last year. Now, the break came due to the fact that a guy named Richard Hanchett, who had been adopted as a baby in 1958, decided to try and find his birth mother. In 2018, he did what so many people who want to know these things do, and he submitted his DNA to Ancestry.com. Now, he did manage to track down some family members, but they told him that his mother had actually been missing for over 40 years, and nobody ever knew what happened to her. And that's where things sat until 2022 when the FBI hit on Richard's DNA when they were looking into the Lady of the Dunes case because now they had a really good DNA profile of her. And, of course, you know where this is going. The Lady of the Dunes was his mum, 37-year-old Ruth Marie Terry. So, of course, they looked into her life and, in particular, they looked into her husband, Guy Moldovan, who had already died in 2002. Guy was not a good bloke. He was a criminal and he was suspected of the murder of his second wife and daughter in 1960. He was also suspected for the murders in 1950 of a 28-year-old truck driver, Henry Baird, and his girlfriend, 17-year-old Barbara Kelly. So although we know who Ruth is now and who probably killed her, it's not really a slam dunk, but I think that we can finally put to rest the Lady of the Dunes. So what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, ties it up nicely. It does. Imagine being rich. There's no official, like, he did it, but that's pretty as close as it's going to get. Yeah, so I don't know whether or not, I mean, nobody had seen her for a while, so I don't know whether she was uh, one of those people that liked to be a film extra. I guess that's always a part of the mystery that may never be solved, but at least we know who she is now. So anyone confirm that it was, did any of, like, the family ever confirm? No, no, no one ever sort of sort of like says anything about it. So, and I guess it was so long ago that you know, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they think about having a look at the movie and everything. Anyway, is there like a photo? See, I want to do it now. Do it. (laughs) Photo? Is there any photos of this woman? Yeah. So we can compare it to the lady in Jaws. Okay, so this is so this is the Jaws lady. Okay, and this was the lady. So the the picture from Jaws, I mean, A, she's like nearly 20 years older in this in that. And also it's a pretty blurry picture. So so it's pretty hard to sort of compare them. But yeah, you're right. Like maybe if they spoke to like the family or something, they could be like, Yeah, yeah, that's definitely her or whatever, you know? Yeah. 
but I haven't heard anything about that. So that would be interesting. Mm. Okay, so the next case we are looking at is the murder of Brittany Drexel. This one's a little bit more recent. We're in 2009 in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. 17-year-old Brittany lived in Rochester, New York. It was spring break. Now, I just discovered this recently, right? I never really understood how the um, the school terms in, in America worked. And I always just assumed, I know that they had their big break in summer and that's in the middle of the year, but I kind of just assumed it would be a lot like what we do. So for anyone who's not in Australia, basically you get six weeks off over Christmas and in January and then you get like for lots of 10 weeks. So you get two weeks off in between every term and that's that's our school year. In America, they get like three months off for summer, but then they like go back August and they don't get a holiday until they get the week between Christmas and New Year. That's it. And then they go, they get like, I think a week or so a week or two weeks for spring break in like April and that's it. That's all the holidays they get. So basically I have six months of holidays, of no holidays, of schoolwork. So I don't know. It feels weird to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Please feel free to correct me. But that's a lot. It's a lot of school, I feel. Mm. Hmm. Very glad that we have our system. Yeah, um, this is pretty good. Yeah, right. So it's spring break for Brittany. And a whole heap of her friends are going to Myrtle Beach in North Carolina to celebrate. Naturally, Brittany wants to go, but her mum, Dawn, is like, nope, no way. And I get it, mum. You know, I, I understand not wanting your 17-year-old to go off with her friends and have the big partying. I, I guess it's like um, when we have leavers here and we send all of our year 12 students down south to go and get, get drunk and do silly things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I get it. Dawn was like, no, there's no adult supervision. And actually she had actually had a premonition that something really bad was going to happen to Brittany. So she was like, no, there's no way you're going. So they fought about this in the days leading up to the spring break and things got very, very heated. In the end, Brittany asked if she could just go and stay with a friend to cool off for a few days. And Dawn said, yep, fine. We're fighting all the time. Go and do that. And I'm betting you can see where this is going. Yeah. Instead of Brittany going to a friend's house for a couple of days, she went to Myrtle Beach without telling her parents. So she's there, she's partying. She calls her mum three days in and just says, look, I'm down at the beach, I'm fine, everything good. Um, and mum assumed when she meant beach, she was at a beach near where they live, not one in North Carolina. So that night, April 25th, 2009, Brittany goes out with her friends in Myrtle Beach and they have a fight over something. I'm not really entirely sure what it was about. Um, these friends she had gone with were Jennifer Oberer, Philip Oberer, her brother, and Alana Lipper. Like I said, I don't know what they were fighting about, but Brittany, she has she goes off on a huff. She does a flounce. She leaves the resort where they're staying, and she's pissed off. She meets up with some other guys who actually came from the same town as her, but weren't really staying in the same, weren't really from the same circle. They're a little bit older. One of these guys would be the last person to officially see her alive, and that was 20-year-old nightclub promoter Pete Brozowitz. She leaves the resort with him at 8.10pm, and he says that they go to a local club. Now, through this time, her friends are texting her, probably like continuing whatever the fight was or maybe even apologising and checking in on her or whatever. She's also texting her boyfriend back home, having a bit of a whinge about her friends and how they're being awful. Her last text is at 
And after this, she doesn't respond to any texts or phone calls ever again. So her boyfriend, John Greco, has a conundrum, right? He can't get hold of her. He's called her friends. They can't get hold of her. I mean, he has to call her mum, right? He's going to obviously get her in trouble, but she's not answering. So he calls Dawn. She freaks out and drives straight down there and just doesn't leave. She will eventually end up moving there because she just can't leave knowing that Brittany has disappeared. So, so yeah, thoughts so far? Sometimes we need to listen to our parents. I know. It's hard to tell a 17-year-old that, though, isn't it? I know. It's, uh, yeah, it's hard. Sometimes uh, I wonder how, like, my friends and I weren't, like, found in the gutter somewhere. Oh, I think about what we got so up to. Times, so many times. Yeah. I mean, it just upsets me. Like, I have a teenage daughter. The idea of her heading somewhere with no supervision and free-range alcohol, drugs, and bad choices just kills me pretty much, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, Brittany's poor, poor family. When I first heard of this case, when it first happened, a lot of focus was put on Peter Brozowitz um, and the guys that he was with as well. The family really, really pushed police to look at him. He even went on Dr. Phil in an attempt to clear his name and Dawn all but ate him alive on Dr. Phil. She just like shut it down. Nope, you were the last person to be seen with my daughter. Where is she, you know? Mm-hmm. Dawn was convinced that Brittany had been a victim of sex trafficking and hoped that she would be she was still alive and could eventually get away. Which I guess as far as outcomes go for a mother that might be sort of the best of a worst worst bunch of scenarios, you know? And look, that area of Southern, South Carolina is the number one county for sex trafficking, so I don't think it could be ruled out that she was trafficked. So Peter stays on the shit list big ways, but no real developments happen. Brittany's friends she was with come under massive scrutiny as well, to, but, you know, nothing ever comes of that either. So people are like, what really happened? What were you fighting about? Did she make it back to the hotel and something's happened to her after that, you know? So in 2016, the FBI discover that based on cell phone pings, they can see that she was taken to a town called Georgetown that night. And it was most likely that she had been killed on that night as well. Not long after this, we have a jailhouse informant sort of situation. Timothy Taylor, an inmate in prison, says that another prisoner, Taquan Brown, said that he had gone to a stash house the day after she went missing and had witnessed Brittany there being raped by a number of guys. He said that he saw her get away, but he saw her also get caught and was brought back inside. And then he heard gunshots and later saw body parts being disposed of in an alligator pond. So they gave this informant a polygraph, which he failed. So this lead goes nowhere. He sticks to his story, though, for a couple of years and is dead set that this is what happened. So we've got we've got Taquan Brown, we've got Peter, and we've got the friends. What are your thoughts? I don't know yet. There's too many people. Well, this is where it is left. Like, this is how it's been for the last however many years. This is all that we know as far, until things got solved. Uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe the friends are more involved. Yeah, um, I guess something that I'm going to teach my kids is the danger of the flounce. And I think that, you know, based on life experience but also these cases, don't ever just walk off angry. Like I know you're angry and you've got a point to make, but stay safe, you know. So if you go off and you're, you know, shitty and you're in a really bad state of mind, 
you're vulnerable. You just up your vulnerability. Like, so yeah, it's a lot. Friends, yeah, I don't know. It seems as though we know that that she was fighting with them. So there's that, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence that she ever went back to the hotel room. Mm. Um, I find jailhouse snitch stuff generally quite unreliable. Yeah. Usually they want something for whatever information they're giving. So yeah. Um, and it's possible that this guy really did see something, but it just wasn't Brittany as well. Yeah. You know, it could have just been some other girl that was getting bloody murdered and chopped up. Yeah. And then we have Peter, who was literally the last person that we know saw her. So, you know, I don't know. It just seems like there's things we don't know. It just seems like these leads are going nowhere. Mm. So who disappeared, Brittany? Well, we end up finding out. And the reason why these leads go nowhere for so long is because none of them ended up being the person. See, that was the other thing I was going to say as well. I feel like just putting the blame on the last person. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah, it's convenient. Yeah. But who's to say it's true? Exactly. Does he get an apology? I hope he does. Well, yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, especially from the mother who just yeah. went on at him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in May 2022, 62-year-old Raymond Moody, a registered sex offender and general piece of shit, walked into the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office and turned himself in. He confessed to having abducted and killing Brittany and uh, he took police to where her remains were found. On May 11, 2022, her remains were found buried in the woods outside of Georgetown. He said he kidnapped and raped her and strangled her before burying her and on October 19th, he was sentenced to life in prison plus a two 30-year two sentences. So total rando, total rando. Turns out he was looked at back in 2011, probably through the local scumbag roundup that they tend to do. But I think that they just didn't have anything to peg on him. And it is really, really random. And it just looks like he plucked her off the street. She was upset. She was walking. He just grabbed her and that was it. So, yeah, thoughts on that? That's sad. Mm, Yeah. That's just really sad. It is really sad that I feel so, so sorry for her mother because she had that premonition. She knew that something bad was going to happen. She tried everything she could to keep her there. She thought she was doing the right thing. And then eventually the worst possible scenario happened. Yeah. And it wasn't even for anything that she did other than just sort of putting herself in an unsafe situation. But like at the same time, sorry, but as women, we should be able to put ourselves in any situation and not have to worry about getting raped and murdered, you know? Yeah. So, yes, we got the, the uh, conclusion to that case. But, yeah, very weird, very random, very sad. So, finally, for our last case, we have one that I initially heard about when I listened to the long-form podcast Your Own Backyard, which was about the disappearance of Kristen Smart. And, honestly, I think that this podcast probably paid a, played a part in pushing this case into the spotlight. So, we're in California in 1996 where Kristen Smart, age 19, was a student at California Polytechnic State University. So it's May 25th, 1996, and Kristen is at an off-campus party. She doesn't know anyone at this party. She's hit it pretty hard and has ended up passed out. It's 2 a.m. on, and she's passed out on the neighbor's lawn. Look, we've all been there. <laughs> we've, we've all been the person passed out on the lawn. <laughs> so no judgment. You're at uni, you're young, go for it. So a couple of other students, Cheryl Anderson and Tim Davis, they find her passed out on the lawn. 
they just left the party themselves and decided, look, best not to leave a girl passed out on a lawn and let's try and help her out. So they get her up onto her feet. A third student, Paul Flores, comes along and offers to help walk her home. He says, oh, I know this girl. She lives in the dorm across from me. I can help you guys take her and show you where she lives. So Kristen, she manages to somehow get out of herself that she lives to say the dorm that she lives at um, to confirm that. So they all set off and they walk her home. The first person to leave them was Tim because he lived off campus. So he had driven there. So he leaves Cheryl and Paul to try and get her home. They get to the turnoff to Cheryl's dorm. And Paul says, look, go home. All cool. I know where Kristen lives. It's across from mine. I'll get her home. No problems. They get to his dorm and Kristen's, I suppose, sobered up a little bit. And she goes, look, it's cool. I can go the rest of the way. It's just across the path. That's cool. Thank you for walking me. Good night. She goes off into her own dorm, and this was the last time that she was ever seen. Now, it takes about a week to report her as missing because it was uni break, and many students would go away or go home for that week. So there was no real warning bells as far as the uni was concerned about her not show up to classes or anything like that. The family were concerned, though, because they couldn't contact her at all. They had to really push the university, though, to, to go and have a look into it. It seems like it just wasn't really a priority for them. So she's been missing a week when they finally launch an investigation, and it's a full-on missing person search. Unfortunately, though, Kristen is never found. So, thoughts? Who did it? <laughs> no, really? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> no, crazy, right? I mean, again, it's a bit like Brittany. We've got someone who has... Last person to see her. It's like, but we've had this person who's in a really vulnerable situation, right? She's really drunk. She's passing out. She's having to be escorted back to her dorm. Like, do we just have another rando or do we have someone that knows her? All of those usual questions come forward, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, we know that in history, uni dorms have been targeted by random murderers. So that is a thing that does happen. And I guess like there's just so many people around that you just wouldn't even know if it was a rando because you never know everyone at your uni. You'd have to ask questions of Paul Flores as the last person to have seen her as well, obviously. He was even declared a person of interest and cadaver dogs were sent through his dorm room, but there was just no evidence at all. Now, the Smart family really thought Paul was responsible, though, and actually filed a $40 million, a $40 million wrongful death lawsuit against him in 1997. During the deposition for that, he refused to answer any questions, pleading the fifth, which ultimately led to the case being dropped because there was no evidence against him. So it really had to come down to him confessing if it was him, you know. But when you why plead the fifth? Because, well, it got him off, right? Because there was no evidence against him. So you'd just be like, nah, I know nothing about it. Sorry, not going to talk about it, you know. I know, but I, I just mean it makes you look guilty. It makes you look guilty. It makes you look like you've got something to hide. But at the same time, like, if there's no actual evidence against you, what have you got to gain? Like, you know, it's basically your word against theirs. So you might as well not incriminate yourself. Yeah. So so the case was dropped. Now, the Flores family actually countersued for emotional distress, but a judgment was never found in that case either. Now, there is information to suggest that one of Kristen's earrings was found in Paul's mother's house, but the earring was supposedly lost by the police, so I guess we'll never know. Mm. 
The police never stopped looking though, and there've been many searches in various areas around campus and nearby. In 2019, the podcast came out and that shone new light on the case and brought a lot of interesting evidence to light, setting off a series of events that would finally see a resolution in this case. Do you want to guess the outcome? Who do you think did it? I don't know. Don't know? Can't call it? I can't call it because there's nothing, really. There was literally nothing. People took her home. Yep. Seemed like they were nice guys. Yep. And then she disappeared. Yep. And then she disappeared. Yep. Exactly. One pleaded the fist. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, it's pretty much that's, all we that's, need. That's what we've got. But I think the podcast, like, was an investigative po- podcast, obviously, and they really yeah. drilled down on a lot of things that the police clearly did not get to in their investigation. Yeah. So the outcome was on April 22nd, 2020, a search warrant was issued for the home of Paul Flores. In this search was found date rape drugs and homemade videos showing Paul raping drugged up women. Okay. Wow. Yeah. This led to further searches of his and his father's property. They never found Kristen's body or anything, but evidence, they did find an area that had evidence that a body had been there at some point. Ooh. So on April 13, 2021, Paul and his father, Reuben, were arrested. Paul was charged with the murder and Reuben with being an accessory. Reuben got three years and Paul got 25 to life when it was decided that he didn't take Kristen home that night. Instead, he raped and murdered her and buried her at his dad's place. So it was the last person to have seen her. They just shows you because the last person in the last story wasn't the guy. Wasn't the guy and then the last person in this story was the guy. I mean, really, it just shows that you can't make assumptions, right? No. And this is the the the, the game we play, yeah. so to speak, with this is... Well, we do it in life, don't we? We don't want to make assumptions about people. Um, but, you know, you don't want to accuse someone of something that they haven't done, especially mm. something as serious as this. Yeah. And, hey, look, we're like, well, maybe he pleaded the fifth because he didn't have anything. No, he pleaded the fifth because he did have stuff to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. You've got to think to yourself, if it wasn't for the podcast and everything being brought to light again, this probably would never have been solved. Mm. It's almost like, you know, the police, and again, we don't want to knock the police. In general, most police are fine. They're good. They do a great job. However, we are talking about a small proportion of cases on this podcast where the police have been ridiculously bad. Uh, Usually, most cases we talk about, it's a mystery because the police had such a shitty investigation. Yeah, and the thing, the reason that we are talking about them is because the cases are unsolved. Unsolved? We're not talking about, or just random, but we're not talking about solved cases. If it's a solved case, obviously the police work is is good or it's obvious. Yeah. Um, But the reason we're focusing on this is because on many of the episodes we do is because they are unsolved. So why are they unsolved? Because there is literally no evidence or because of shoddy police work. So it's definitely not like a a police do a crap job because there's plenty of solved crimes out there. Yeah. Well, I think that at the end of the day, the um, investigation ended up sort of looking at Paul's dad's house and the fact that the body looked like it had been buried there at some point, but they'd moved it. Um, It just makes you wonder, like, they took cadaver dogs around Paul's uni dorm what would have happened if they'd taken the cadaver dogs to his parents' house, you know? Yeah. 
why didn't they do that? If they suspected him well enough to do that at his dorm, why not do it at his parents' place where he lived otherwise, you know? And, I mean, yeah, it's just those little things. Like if that little thing had it just been done, maybe it would have got solved quicker, you know? Was this, like, what I'm curious about is, was this, like, his thing? Like, was he just into date rape or was this date rape gone wrong? Well, it sounds like she was fairly blind drunk. So I'd say, like, who knows? Maybe he had drugged her. That's why she was so pass out drunk. You know, it's never sort of explained, was this just the fact that she drank way too much or was she actually date rape drugged, you know, like, and he was just sort of laying in wait, waiting for her to pass out, you know. But I'm saying, like, did she die from the date rape drugs? That's it. Or did she fight back and he had to sort of. Wait, wait, did you say the other guy got charged as well? His dad, because his dad obviously must have helped him bury her body. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was at his house. So, so yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot, it's a lot. And, and it's really sad that, you know, there are these pieces of shit out there. Makes me wonder if this is, this is a one-off that, you know, one of his victims died or maybe more. That's what I mean. That's why I'm curious about whether she had actually been, drugged and then the drugs interacted badly with her and she died from that because that does happen or did he regularly drug and rape and kill other women and we just don't know it's my understanding with the date rape drugs the ghb and all of that it's very easy to overdose people as well yeah yeah so so yeah another piece of shit behind bars uh luckily but unfortunately that's no real I mean, it's not the best outcome as far as somebody's dead, you know? Yeah. So that's the end. We hope you've enjoyed the solveness of our cases tonight. <laughs> you, can, you can go to bed and sleep sleep well knowing that there's no mysteries looming out there after this episode. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have some more for you going forward. Like I'm always waiting for the cases that we've covered to be solved and looked at and everything so that we can. Did you hear recently actually um, about the Kellets? There was a, there was a development in the Kellets case. Refresh my memory. So the Kellets was actually our first ever episode. Oh yeah. Ray and Jenny in uh, yeah. Sandstone in WA. The Great Dane. Yeah, that's it. So um, apparently. Ellie? Uh, Ella. I remember. <laughs> remember the the surname of the people (laughs) and the case you're talking about but I remember nearly remember the name of their dog oh my gosh is that not me (laughs) um so yeah they um a guy who I guess like went out bush for a long time and was determined to find some evidence out there because we still don't know what happened to Jenny. Oh. Um, said that he ended up going down the mine where Ray's body was found and found an item of clothing down there. So we'll see. Watch this space. That old mate that was with them. I'm oh, so sweet. Come on. That weird, the weird driving stuff he did and then he went back and then yeah. all that weird so stuff. Dodgy. He is so involved. One case that I really want to hear more information about was staircase. Um, hey, the oh, staircase. staircase. <laughs> is that your number one? Is it? That's for me. I want to know if the owl did it or not. Oh, it has to be the owl. I'm sorry, but that case is closed in my mind. <laughs> yeah. If it's ever proven, like seriously, we're making shirts. Yeah, absolutely. The owl did it. It'll be like on the front. Yeah. Who did it? Get it? Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Who did it? Who did it? And then on the back. 
guilty with the picture of an owl. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. If that ever happens, we're doing that. Patent pending. Don't anyone else steal that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, the one I was going to say is Nicola Bully. Nothing has been mentioned about her autopsy or. Um, uh, again, refresh my memory. Refresh. I, I joked about this on our Facebook page the other day. How <laughs> exciting it is for me when you release the, the sneak peeks of what's coming because literally I don't remember. Yeah. No. This I'm is- like, oh, what is this episode? I literally do not recall. This is a lady recently who went walking with her dog and ended up in the water, remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We did that. So yeah. they must have done an autopsy by now. I'm, no one, Nothing's ever been said. I Google it all the time. Like, did she just fall in or did something happen? Like, I just need to know, honestly. Yeah, because she was in that waterway, which was like near impossible for them to miss it. Yeah. And then suddenly she was there. Well, she was kind of in the reeds and I, <clears throat> yeah, it was, yeah, there was a lot of questions about whether or not she'd been there the whole time. But the the accepted narrative seems to be that she accidentally fell in the water and died, but the water wasn't deep. And, it, you know, yeah. like it makes no sense if that was the case unless she had a medical episode or something. Yeah. Which is why I keep waiting for something to come into the news. <laughs> so it'd be like, oh, yeah, she had a brain aneurysm and that's why she fell in the water. You know, something like that, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I'm just going through all of our cases to see if anything else has been updated recently, but I don't think it has. We will usually post updates if we see things. William Tyrell, there was a bunch of stuff that was talked about. We did an, yeah. we did an update episode about that. Um to, that talked about those updates. I don't think there's been anything. Nothing else has come from it. No. So, yeah, I don't know. That, that was a very weird one. But anyway, as we get updates, we'll let you guys know. Um, and, yeah, we hope that you've enjoyed the closure tonight. I had to do a, um, a, a call to one of our suspects the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, to check in and make sure all was well with their hat. I'm not saying anymore. Oh, you know yeah, what I'm talking so- about. To be quite cryptic, um, B has a client at her place of work who, let's just say, has been a suspect in one of the cases that we've spoken about. Mm-hmm. And we'll leave it at that. Leave it at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't want to get in trouble with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, we will see you when we return for our usual season. And, um, yeah, pray for B's migraines and headaches and whatnot Please to go do. away. Yeah. Tell them to be gone. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.